This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, here's the thing. Dicks don't always work the way we want them to. That may be because we're nervous or in our heads or, you, you know, you're not a teenager anymore and the sight of half a nipple doesn't make you immediately jizz your pants the way it used to. That's not a bad thing. And it's okay to seek a little enhancement. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. Now, does it work? Do you think you might need it? Are you nervous about how it might feel? Totally fair. I say consult with a medical professional, try it in moderation or on occasion for a little while, and see if it's something you might just want to have around on occasion. I think you're going to love it. And it might be the case that even just having it on hand gives you that extra little boost of confidence you need. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code GOP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code GOP to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Hi, listeners. Friendly reminder that we now have a Patreon. If you like what you hear and want to support, go to patreon.com slash girls on porn. Welcome to Girls on Porn. I'm Rachel. I'm Laura. And we love porn. This is our porn review podcast. We talk about what we love and we roast what we hate. Helping you find hot, ethical, just plain better porn for your spank bank. And we're looking at everything. Today we are joined by an incredibly highly anticipated guest. You've heard his name a bajillion (laughs) times coming out of our mouths. Justin LaMiller, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, For listeners who don't know, uh, Dr. Justin LaMiller is a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. He runs the sex and psychology blog and podcast and is the author of the popular book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of sexual desire and how it can help you improve your sex life. Dr. LaMiller is an award-winning educator, having been honored three times with the Certificate of Teaching Excellence from Harvard University, where he taught for several years. He is also a prolific researcher who has published more than 50 academic works, including a textbook titled The Psychology of Human Sexuality that is used in college classrooms around the world. Wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? I like to teach people about sex. I love that. <laughs> what a I great mean, you've quality. taught me a lot, I have to say. Good God. It's true. Justin, how did you get started as a sex researcher? It was an accident. You know, it's not like Whoa. I spent my whole life saying, hey, I want to be a sex researcher. Um, yeah. So I was studying to be a social psychologist and specifically yeah. my focus was on romantic relationships. Okay. And I didn't really have a great reason for that at the time, other than that I just thought relationships were interesting and it sounded yeah. like fun. And it was interesting as I was studying and learning about theories and models of like how relationships work and mm how you develop a happy, healthy, long-lasting relationship. Like, no one was talking about sex. And it was kind of weird. Like, sex is a pretty big part of most people's relationships. And so, you know, that was one of the things that kind of piqued my interest. But then along the way, I got assigned to be this teaching assistant for a human sexuality course. And that just, Mm. like, opened my eyes to this whole world of sex research that's out there. And I was learning about the work that Alfred Kinsey did back in the 40s and 50s and Masters and Johnson in the 60s and 70s. And I just thought that it was so fascinating, interesting and important and that there's so much that this work on sexuality can add to our understanding of relationships. And so that's kind of what pushed me in that direction. Absolutely. That's fascinating. So would you say that you are you you don't feel like you were always like interested in sex? It just kind of happened randomly. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know much about sex growing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it who wasn't does? something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in a relatively small city in 
Ohio and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of conservative. My parents didn't talk a lot about sex. I went to Catholic schools for a lot of my upbringing. They right. didn't talk about sex there. Oh, yeah. So sex, you know, <laughs> wasn't something that I thought you could actually pursue a career in, especially if you wanted <laughs> to study it scientifically or teach people about it. Like I never would have thought you could make a living doing that. So, right. you know, my career trajectory, I feel like is very, um, just fortuitous and accidental and I couldn't be happier with how it ended up, but there was no grand plan to get here. Right. Right. Well, what are some of the biggest surprises that you feel like you've encountered in your work or even times when your own open mindedness was challenged, like misconceptions maybe you had that Mm. you've learned from in your, in your process? Well, I would say early on, I was surprised a lot more than I am (laughs) now (laughs) (laughs) because You know, given my background, I didn't know a lot about sex or Mm -hmm. what people were fantasizing about or what they were actually doing behind closed doors. And so, you know, in the early days of being a sex educator and researcher, I was learning new stuff every day that was blowing my mind and drastically expanding, you know, my understanding of sex and relationships. Um, You know, just as one example as I was studying relationships in graduate school, there was sort of this presumption that everybody is or wants to be monogamous. And Mm. so Mm. the more digging I did into that research, the more I started doing work in that area, the more I found there's a heck of a lot of people who are in sexually open relationships or polyamorous or they're swingers Mm -hmm. or they're cuckolding. And, you know, for me, like that fundamentally changed the way that I looked at relationships. And then I started seeing the data on how, your relationship can be open or monogamous and you can be just as happy, healthy, and satisfied. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if something different works for you. So yeah, there's been a massive shift in the way that I think about sex and relationships because of what I do. And it just opened my eyes in so many ways. Yeah. Mm. Can you talk to us a little bit about tell me what you want the book, your book, Sure. your book, (laughs) your book, tell me what you want, (laughs) because I love stats. I love stats so much. And so and like I get a lot of stats from this book because I'm fascinated by like, you know, sexual desires and fantasies and things like that. But so this book was a big labor of love. I spent about four years working on it. And it's based on the largest scientific study of sexual fantasies ever conducted in the United Mm. States. So I surveyed 4,175 Americans about their sexual fantasies. They completed a 369-question survey. The 69 was not intentional. It just kind of worked out (laughs) that way. Um, But I asked them about their favorite fantasy of all time, hundreds of people, places, things they might have ever fantasized about, and then wrote this whole book that does a deep dive into what are we turned on by and why, and what do our fantasies say about us, and how do you share your fantasies with the partner in a productive way? And what do you need to know for thinking about acting on your fantasies? So it's designed to be kind of a comprehensive guidebook to understanding your own fantasies, your partner's fantasies, and how to integrate them into your sex life. I was going to say, it sounds helpful. Like it's, I don't want to say instructive because somehow that word has like a nasty stank on it. I don't love, but that it's a guideline. It's helpful as opposed to just being like, here's the pure stats. Like how it, it sounds like a way to navigate your own fantasies that you might have your own judgments about potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was a challenging book to write in the sense that I'm, I have literally millions of data points <laughs> from the study <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I don't want to overwhelm people with stats. And so mm. it was finding that right balance of here are the key stats that people need to know that they can mm-hmm. relate to, help them better understand sexuality, but really break it down into what does this mean? How can you use this? So mm-hmm. it, it was a challenging book to write, but I've been very gratified that I've had a lot of positive feedback on it. And a lot of people have said that it yeah. made them feel normal for the first time, or they mm. shared their fantasies with their partner for the first time and had a really positive experience with it. So uh, the feedback I've gotten from it has been really great. That's amazing. Wow. It's incredibly moving. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful work to do. Yeah, I guess kind of this might be a tough question, but do you feel like is if there is there something that you found in your research or something that you believe like if everyone knew about sex, mm. like the world would be a better place <laughs> <laughs> or like sex wouldn't be so mystifying or or stigmatized? 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. Um, I get asked, you know, this question or variance thereof, like, what's like the one thing that everybody needs to know? Um, Mm -hmm. Who just feel like better about, you know, like uh, sex in general. If we're talking about fantasy specifically, I think one of the key Mm -hmm. things there is that the things that you're fantasizing about are probably the same things that most other people are fantasizing about too. And you're probably a lot more normal than you think. You know, the the single Mm. most common question I get from people is, am I normal? Are my fantasies normal? Is my penis size normal? Uh, You know, all of these kinds of things (laughs) come up. And so... You know, in the book, I give people a lot of information, not just about fantasies, but also about penis size and these other sorts of things, because (laughs) we we need to expand people's definition of normal. So actually, I guess that's what I would say is that Mm -hmm. people tend to think of normal as being just this one thing or this one average. Like, so if you're having Mm -hmm. sex this many times per month or per week, like that's normal. And if you're doing it more or less, that's that's a problem or weird. Mm -hmm. And so we need to rethink normal and pitch it basically is this range, right? Mm. So normal is a wide range of behaviors and numbers. And, you know, odds are you're probably normal. It's only when you're at the very extreme outliers that, you know, we can talk about something as being like uncommon or, or rare. And just because something is uncommon doesn't mean it's a problem. Right? right. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Exactly. And that's really important when we're talking about fantasies, right? Just yeah. because somebody fantasizes about like being a furry or uh, right. something else that happens with low frequency, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with being turned on by that. Exactly. Um, yeah. And also just because a fantasy is common doesn't mean that it would be healthy or okay to act on. Right. right. So, you know, one example of that is voyeurism fantasies. Voyeurism mm. by definition is a non-consensual act because you're spying on somebody else who is undressing or having sex. And I find that most people in my survey say they fantasized about voyeurism before, but just because most people have done it doesn't mean everybody should go out and be a voyeur. <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah. And that <laughs> one in particular feels like one that you can resolve with certain resources. You know, like mm-hmm. I even think like the cam world could be conducive to voyeurism. Like if you want to feel like you're watching a girl all day long <laughs> who doesn't give right. a shit about you, like there's someone right. for that, you know? So we should probably bring up and and transition into the topic of the episode, which is, I mean, I do want to talk to you forever about all things sex (laughs) research, (laughs) but we'll have to rein it in and then probably bring you back again and again. Um, But today we're here to talk about age play, um, which is, I think, an incredible topic to be talking about with Mm -hmm. you. I think a a heavily uh, misunderstood kink. You've and been yeah, I would, an expert witness in some court cases, right? About age play. You'd be surprised at how often <laughs> age play comes up in the legal system in court cases. And, you know, we might get into this more a little bit later. But, uh-huh. you know, one of the big issues that comes up. So for people who aren't familiar with age play, you know, yeah. it's this idea where people are role playing being different ages. And it could be one Mm -hmm. partner or both partners who are changing their age, but often it's one partner who's pretending to be younger than they really are. Often somebody who is under the the legal age of consent. And so there's Mm -hmm. sort of this, um, you know, sort of authority figure and, or, or experienced teacher with, you know, the inexperienced younger person. Um, so it's, it's actually more about a consensual power exchange and establishing Mm -hmm. this dynamic than it is about an attraction to a specific age, but where it pops up in the legal system is that a lot of law enforcement agencies think that, well, even if it's just role play, you know, if you are having a sexual conversation with somebody who is posing as a minor, that that necessarily means you're a pedophile and you're a threat to Mm. society and you're likely to molest children. And so Mm -hmm. that's where I often get involved in these cases or where people will come to me is to try and explain the sexual interest and what's the difference between age play and pedophilia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to be super extra clear for our (laughs) listeners, uh, Justin, you're talking about uh, younger than age of consent. We're talking about adults role-playing that they are children or they are minors. Um, And so that is, that is the big distinction is that it's consenting adults uh, pretending that that gap exists as opposed to actually uh, that actual gap existing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or that lack of consent. There are no, there are no actual children involved. (laughs) It's a consensual (laughs) adult role play scenario. Exactly. 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 And it, it's, it, it, 
makes sense when you think about it as like plugging it into like already like the a dominant and submissive relationship. Like that's a that's a that's a a power dynamic we all know, right? It's like mm-hmm. someone being older and someone being younger. And so when you plug it into BDSM, like I'm like, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Like I would get why people would want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds to me, and feel free to expound on this, Justin, so much about submission uh, in particular for like, if we're talking about DDLG, like the little often, you know, the little girl uh, person role playing that so much about giving something up. I read an article in prep for this, um, this episode from the Prostasia Foundation, which I'd never stumbled across before. Mm. Uh, but it was written from someone who uh, professionally role plays as a little. And she said something that just like resonated with me that t- it's like taking your bra off and finally pouring that glass of wine at the end of the long day. Like I'd never thought about it with that framing that it's it's actually like a release into shedding a performative identity otherwise like mm-hmm. i was kind of always thought about it as the reverse right that you're like performing this like little girl behavior but something about like relaxing into that made a lot of sense to me because i was like yeah i'm fucking tired of adulting yeah you know to, for 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 lack of a better way of putting it to get to like play in that little space just sounds fun to like submit responsibility and let someone dominate you while still obviously having your cognizant like consent yes. and your agency in this situation to just yeah. be like, I'm going to be a brat. And like, that's the game we play. Like that yeah. sounds great to me. Yeah. To just not <laughs> have to worry or be, have any responsibilities for a little bit. Like what a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> I think that's great. part of the appeal of so many different forms of role play is that it's yes. this escape from self-awareness. You get to step away from yourself for a while and become someone or something else temporarily. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of ways that we can transform ourselves in role play or in our sexual fantasies. But that sort of escape from self-awareness, shedding your identities, dropping your insecurities, anxieties, responsibilities, and and temporarily inhabiting this other role, a lot of people find that to be a, a really exciting release and they find that it relieves them of some burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the case of age play in particular, when you're kind of taking on this younger role, you can have a lot of fun with it right? right. and and do things that you might not normally get to do in your, your daily life because you have to adult yes. <laughs> doing yeah. that. So yeah. that's certainly part of the appeal for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have some fun facts because researching this, I started thinking about like the actual ages of porn stars um and <laughs> <laughs> so um John Millward did this research of like uh the internet adult film database um and the average age of a milf in porn is actually 33 um <laughs> only 7% I almost spit my tea out on my keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) The average age of a MILF is younger than me. Cool. That feels great. Right? That feels right. Only 7% were over the age of 40 and only 4% were over the age of 50. Uh, Also, of the top porn stars of the year, uh, 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 this is from Pornhub's Insights, uh, in 2019 of the top porn stars, only a few women were over 40, including Lisa Ann, who's 48, and Brandy Love, who's 47, who are like two of the most popular MILFs of all time. A lot more men, interestingly enough. Um, Johnny Sins is 42. Mandingo is 45, Manuel Ferrara is 45, Nacho Vidal is 47, and Rocco Sofredi is 56. All these porn stars are listening right now and being like, really? You're going to call me out like that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. No, I think so, we should destigmatize age in general. But right, that's, right. That's, those are fascinating stats. And that's just a, a product of the porn industry being like any entertainment industry of uh valuing and um youth putting a superficial <laughs> yeah thing on on youth and then right. tossing out the rest in a really shitty way right i think that that is telling evidence that you know in something like milf porn right it's not really about the age right. of the mm. actor it's about mm-hmm. the the dominant role that she's adopting and Absolutely. i've seen content analysis of MILF porn compared to teen porn. And you see that women in MILF porn are more likely to be the initiators of sex and Mm -hmm. taking on a dominant role. And so it's really more about that power play than it is about age per se, but certainly the fact that 
you know, you have so few women over the age of 40 in porn, you know, that's telling of something different that's you yeah, know going yeah. on in the industry and social and cultural values and the way that women of a certain age are devalued. Right. I have one other question for you, Justin, because I'm, I'm such a, I'm not actually a psychologist, but I like to pretend, um, <laughs> and I'm very fascinated by, uh, so I'm curious, and I think this is sort of a dangerous question, so I want to phrase it carefully, but I think there's probably a societal assumption that the desire to, let's say, age play, but this could be true of any paraphilia, that the desire comes from some kind of trauma or experience as a child. And I, I'm curious mm. how you engage with that notion or or even how, like what stats or research you have that would sort of challenge it and even look at how it might be dangerous to make those assumptions or generalizations. You know, I've seen some work looking at people who identify as adult babies, you know, which is a you know form of age play mm-hmm. um, where they're pretending to be infants or, or toddlers. Um, and sometimes that goes along with diaper fetishism. And they've looked at, you know, what are the psychological roots of this? And what you can see is that in some cases, it relates back to an early experience they had. And sometimes it's related to a traumatic experience. Mm. And we see this with BDSM more broadly, that some people connect their interest in BDSM or age play to an early traumatic childhood experience. It could be Mm -hmm. physical abuse or sexual abuse. Now, so so there is a link there, Mm. but it's small. And, right. you know, we need to be very careful to not assume that everybody who's into BDSM or everybody who's into age play has a history of sexual abuse or assault because most of them don't. Right. right. Yeah. So while the link exists for a small number of people, that's not the predominant thing that draws people to it. Uh, so, you know, we need to be very careful in the way that we talk about trauma to not use that as a way of pathologizing these interests. But we also need to recognize that for some of these individuals who have a history of trauma, they actually find age player BDSM to be a therapeutic way of dealing with that previous trauma. And so it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing or a negative thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I just think we need to shift the conversation around this because I hear a lot of people who, you know, are very vocal, very adamant and want to say, you know, there's no connection at all between BDSM and and trauma. But, you know, the reality is that there is for Mm -hmm. a small number Mm -hmm. of people. But why do we want to erase or ignore their experiences and, you know, overlook the fact that this might be a therapeutic way that they cope with that trauma that they previously endured? So we just need to change the way that we talk about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I, I I find myself guilty of it, too, where I, whenever I, we research a topic, I'm like, why is it hot? You know, like we always want to look for like a hard and fast rule of what is it about this specific kink or fetish that people um, are attracted to. Um, I don't know what that is, that we yeah. always want to know the reason well, behind well, it. What I can tell you is that there's usually <laughs> never just one yeah, hard right, and fast right, rule. Yeah. You know, That's what all those data points have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if being a sex researcher has taught me anything, it's that <laughs> yeah. sexuality is so complex, multi-determined. Right. There are you know personality factors the role of trauma, lived experiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, partner-specific learning that you have, uh, your culture and society, our evolutionary history, like all of these things can come together to shape why we're turned on by certain things. So I try right. not to reduce it too much to any one thing right, um, yeah. and, and say, hey, it's complex. Yeah, yeah. And also that we people might not even be aware enough of their own issues or, or or not even issues, but aware enough of their own psyche of like why it is hot. Like, why can't we just be like, yeah, I like it and I don't know why. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, it, it's also possible that we might overstate the role of, of trauma in some cases when it comes mm. to how it relates to people's sexual fantasies and turn ons. Because when people have what they perceive to be an unusual sexual interest, they right. often try to connect it to an early life experience. Yeah. And sometimes we're not always accurate at saying where our turn-ons or interests come from or why we have the thoughts and feelings that we do. You know, introspection, you know, this idea of looking inward and kind of gaining self-understanding, it doesn't always lead to the right answer or, right. or conclusion. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's yeah. where therapy can come in terms of helping people to to deal with this and recognize you know, when they have attractions or turn-ons that, 
that are distressing or problematic to them. Right. I like your framing too, that what we should be focusing on is the like positive resource that BDSM provides as opposed to this biased inquiry of like, this person has a paraphilia or this person has a kink or something weird about them. Therefore, we have to look in reverse, like retrospectively look for a problem in their childhood as opposed to just saying that this like kink or this fantasy or this fetish exists. And these are the million reasons why, but isn't it great that they can act on them and that those fantasies can provide pleasure and an outlet of all kinds to that person. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, another way of thinking about this is like, there are a lot of people who are into vanilla sex who have a history of trauma, but we're not right. looking at, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, we're not trauma is like, a why? problem for them. You, you have vanilla sex. So like, it yeah. must be because your mother didn't love you. Yeah. Like, where's that come from? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It, it, it says much more about the way that we, shame and stigmatize right. any form of sexuality that seems outside the norm or beyond what we've been taught is normal human right. sexual behavior. So Which is, I think that's really more the issue than anything. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And that we, that's part of the reason why I do the work that I do is to help people to understand diverse sexual interests. And the more that we understand them, we can destigmatize them, reduce a lot of that shame that is ultimately like the source of so many of our sexual problems. Totally. Same with us. I mean, that's another, that's the reason why we do the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. it's because we live in a shame-based society, unfortunately, but not We're if we have away. anything to do with it. Not <laughs> 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 if we have anything to say about it. Yeah. Doing our part. Yeah. Well, shall we take a quick break and we can come back and talk about those videos? Sounds good. Hey folks, it's time to thank our lovely sponsors. I know, I know, ads on a podcast. How dare we? What are we living under capitalism? Listen, sponsorship helps make the show possible. And full disclosure, this show is a far cry from a cash grab. It's hard to find advertisers that aren't scared of porn. So if you do hear us talk about something you might like or that genuinely might be of use to you, definitely snag that discount code because it keeps those sponsors working with us. And that makes it possible for us to compensate ourselves for all the time and love we pour into this show. Worth mentioning that we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash girls on porn, if you want another way to express your support. Great news for anyone who's looking to find a little extra free time and who, like me, might be feeling wildly overwhelmed by life right now. Would it be nice to skip the meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, and cleaning up and get factors Fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved for nutritional value. Plus, Factor has their Protein Plus and Keto options for anyone who wants those kinds of diet-specific options. And if you're like me, you probably think about the environmental implications of having food delivered. With Factor, you can rest assured that you're making a more sustainable choice. Factor offsets 100% of their delivery emissions and uses 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep you energized during chaotic times. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Hold on, get ready for it. We've got that big fat discount coming for you. Head to factormeals.com slash GOP50 and use code GOP50 to get 50% off. That's code GOP50 at factormeals.com slash GOP50 to get 50% off. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back. 
We are back. We're back to talk about porn. Uh, fancy that. Um, so the first video that we're going to talk about is from Pink Label. Uh, it's hosted on Pink Label. Um, it's from Bonus Whole Boys uh, featuring James Darling and Alan Silver. Um, and I was really excited to talk about this because I've, I know James Darling's work and we haven't really talked about him yet on the show. So this is exciting to get an opportunity um, to talk about his work. Um, he has his own um, platform as well called FTM Fucker. Um, but this is from Bonus Whole Boys. Mm-hmm. Quick little log line. College freshman James Darling thought he could have a moment alone in the bathroom, jacking off to a porno mag. But then dad's friend, Alan Silver, interrupts right before he's about to bust a load. What starts off as an awkward moment turns into an intergenerational FTM fuckfest with dirty talking, ass eating, long blowjobs, daddy boy play, and deep penetration. Um, and this Alan is Alan like- Silver. Important to know that oh, Alan yeah. Silver is uh, a self-proclaimed mega dad, which I love. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's from Alan Silver's Twitter. I was like, oh, ooh, I like okay. that. I like that terminology. Yeah. And this was fun. I mean, just because the topic, like, obviously, there's a there's a spectrum of age play. So this is like, you know, it is it's age play, but it's not like James Darling isn't isn't playing uh, that much younger than he actually is. So we're talking like college freshmen, which would be like what, like 18, 19? Yeah, it feels in the realm of like uh, gay daddy porn. You know, yeah. it's right. uh, we've got our daddy, but we're not necessarily dealing with a minor different forms of age play. Again. Yeah, right. So we st- we um, start with James masturbating to a porno mag, a gay one, important mm-hmm. to note. Yeah. And then uh, Alan Silver walks in on him and then leaves. And and what I thought was kind of a mysterious move, James just continues masturbating. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, interesting. And then we cut to the next scene where Alan Silver's like, we should maybe talk about uh-huh. what just happened. So there's no like awkwardness you're going to be staying with me we need to be able to talk about stuff and then very quickly pivots to like have you masturbated about me and then that leads us into like the sex scene right 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 right. a natural progression yeah (laughs) it did feel like a a very sudden like we're gonna fuck and I was like oh okay we just like went there but uh I did sort of like that we started with the authoritative yet Mm -hmm. like considerate dad figure Right. And then just like flipped it on its head. You know? Yeah, I actually really loved that. I love that he was like, yes, let me make a safe space for you to talk about your sexuality. You know, yeah. like you're allowed to talk about this stuff with me. Um, I loved that. Everyone you don't really likes see that. porn with a plot and a positive <laughs> social message. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it made me feel nice. Like it wasn't like you were bad. You were looking at porn now, which like in the mainstream version of this would be like. Now I'm going to punish you. It was like, mm-hmm. let's talk about this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then also, would you like to give me a blowjob? <laughs> and James <laughs> yeah. was like, absolutely, I would. Um, yeah, it was like lots of good communication. Um, I really enjoyed that. I also really like the dynamic of this. Like it leans into the stuff that we were talking about earlier about like power play. And mm-hmm. uh, Alan is definitely the the daddy figure here like uses the word like son about a million oh, times yeah. and uh a lot of like positive encouragement like oh you're really what is the line that he used during the blowjob like you're really taken to this like <laughs> you're there really taking to this yeah like something like hokey about it like oh yeah you're really taken to this blowjob like good job son like it I could know. have been like a baseball lesson you <laughs> yeah. know like, yeah, yeah totally I was like sir this is not his first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I I thought that was particularly interesting like when we were talking about age play earlier and the, you know, power play and dominant submissive aspect, mm-hmm. you know, there, there wasn't like hardcore yeah. power play here. You know, right. this was, there was a lot of nurturance, a lot of encouragement, a lot of validation. Yes. Right. And so it was this very kind of warm form <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> age play yeah. uh, that, you know, contrasts with a lot of, the other stuff that's out there where it's, mm-hmm. you know, very strict dom sub roles. Mm-hmm. Or more like punitive, like more around the narrative of like, you did something wrong and you have to be punished and it's a sexual punishment and that's the role play or that's the 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 story of the porn where right. yeah, this was much more like, yeah, nurturing. Yeah. <laughs> it was very warm. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> it was really lovely. Yeah. Um, 
the, it, was, it was also like a lot of like laughing too, which mm-hmm. made it feel like they were genuinely enjoying themselves. Um, I did love the fact that there was a periodic table of elements poster on the background. <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off of that at one point. Um, what else? Yeah, I just really liked it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the laughter piece is really interesting because there are so many people who say, like I've heard people say, including therapists, like you should mm-hmm. never laugh during sex. And, oh. you know, it, so there's so many people who just like, they approach sex so seriously and they're afraid to laugh. But right. Yeah. You're allowed to have fun with it. Right. Know? Yeah. It's yeah. okay to totally. laugh as long as you're laughing together and not, yes. you know, laughing at the other person. Yeah. Yeah. We I talk have, about this yeah. constantly. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have said before that I think sex is serious. And yes. Be Rachel, Rachel, Rachel and I have like gone toe to toe on this before, but Rachel's been like, it's serious. My body is sexy and it's serious. And I'm like, well, if we're fucking and my farts make a, like, or my tits my farts my tits make a <laughs> fart sound like we gotta acknowledge we're it laughing, otherwise it's like a weird certainly. lie like we're laughing right. but you can also just like have fun inside of the play and I also right. like that this scene in particular is another example and we've seen a few before that I think are great that uh, role-playing or dominance play or BDSM of any kind doesn't always have to be hardcore doesn't right. always have to be rough doesn't have to be punitive like it can be and by all means if that's your thing uh, go for it with a consenting partner, but it's nice to see an alternative and to show the spectrum of yes. pleasure that can be inclusive, not just of pleasure pain, but also of something more playful and laughy and fun like this is. A teaching moment, <laughs> some might say. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It it turned me on more than I thought it would. Uh, the licking of the armpit, especially, something you mm. don't see enough in porn. You love um, that. I did. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. It's like it's an erogenous zone that I think a lot of people forget about, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Love a good armpit lick. Another highlight for me, there was some serious face fucking with James on top of Alan that I like looked away for a second and came back and was like disoriented to the point where I was like, oh, is this fucking? Because it was such like enthusiastic grinding um, Mm. that James was doing on Alan's face. And I I just really liked that because I... Some, something about it like played into the dynamic that I was like, Alan can handle it. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like I liked that James was getting so into it and that we were seeing that kind of engagement and that it felt like um, vigorous, but also it was like, dad's dad's okay. He'd let you know if not. It, like something about that, like felt like it lent itself to the dynamic of their relationship in the, in the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And important to note, we get an exit interview, which I always think is very important. Mm-hmm. Porn. Love to hear. That was about interesting it. to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't see that happen very often at all, right. but to get sort of the inside perspective of, you know, what were you thinking? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of how do you feel about performing these scenes? What's the way that you approach them? Uh, I think it's fascinating and can add a lot of context. Oh, absolutely. To, you know, the, the video that you just watched and then what you take away from it. Because I think mm-hmm. people have all of these ideas about porn stars and how porn works that are just totally wrong and they don't even really see them as real people right yeah real emotions and feelings and so it adds something else that's different and so personal and Mm -hmm. I I think it'd be interesting to have a component like that in a lot more of the porn that's out there right Mm -hmm. right yeah we love to see it because it like you said it reminds the viewer that the people you're watching are human like I think so much so often the experience of watching porn can be really bizarre. Like you come and then you sort of like come to, and the, I think the like the joke that everybody tells is like, Ugh, like you're like put off by it. Like the thing that you were just coming to, cause it can be intense to watch. And I think seeing that the performers are people again, actually mm-hmm. humanizes Absolutely. the experience of watching porn and makes it all feel normal and safe. Like for me, I love to see it because the biggest thing that distracts me is when I feel like, I don't know if the performers are okay or if if I don't know if consent is present. It's a huge turnoff and it's really scary. So any reminder of like, these are humans and they're making a living and you're turned on by it and it's all fair game is is great. It also reminds us that it's a performance. Yes. You know, like it isn't reality. It's a space for fantasy too. Yeah. Yeah. I was also going to say, it's also kind of like a form of aftercare as well, Mm -hmm. um, where that kind of happens and you get to see them interact. And, you know, the other nice thing about porn not ending on 
the male orgasm is that it doesn't reinforce this idea that a man's orgasm is the end of a sexual encounter and that orgasm is the ultimate goal of sex, right? Um, yeah. I think by having so much of the porn out there end on a male mm-hmm. orgasm, it just reinforces some problematic ideas that we have about sex. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the next one is uh, Poppy Cox and Susie Q in the standby classic Crash Pad series. Right. And this one is a different form of age play. Um, yeah. We actually had Susie Q on to talk about DDLG. So it was really, it's, it was awesome to see her actually in like a little space, you mm-hmm. know, as a performer. Yeah. And this one's unusual. It's like, it's sort of a twist on age play. It almost skirts the category just a little bit because it's, uh, it's Poppy Cox role playing that she's a doll and then Susie Q role playing as the little girl. Uh, which is an interesting, it sort of adds another element, but feels like its own version of right. age play, particularly from Susie. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that it's like what traditionally we would think like the little girl is the submissive. She's actually quite dominant in this mm-hmm. scene, which mm-hmm. I liked. Yeah. Well, there is also that other element where the camera cuts out a couple points to mm. some male viewer who's watching this on like a camera and you know I don't know if that's like supposed to be the daddy who gave the doll to the girl and like oh, yeah. he's watching it so there's you know so when yeah. I was seeing that I was thinking there's also this voyeuristic element and yeah. mm-hmm. you know is that supposed to be the daddy figure in this yeah. and is that another yeah. layer to the age play yeah that's such a fascinating interpretation yeah um, <laughs> the, the funny thing about Crash Pad is that for the, a lot of their earlier work that voyeur figure is there for all of the videos and the, mm. like we cut back to him in all videos. And at some point they shedded that and we're like, we don't it's, need this guy here. <laughs> it's not a guy. It's shine Louise Houston. Or sorry. Yeah. yeah it's shine yeah. Louise uh, Houston. So it's the creator of crash pad, like that we yeah. go back to and just have a reminder of like that voyeurism. So in this case, it's not necessarily uh, the gifter of the dolly, but I actually really like that. Read yeah. Cause it yeah. sort of like does enhance the porn. If you can like view it through that lens. That's funny. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. as a naive viewer, that's <laughs> yeah. not familiar with <laughs> yeah, the company. Yeah. So that was the yeah. other layer that I was interpreting. And I think that, you know, that just speaks to how porn can be interpreted by oh, different yeah. people in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And it's always fascinating yeah. to look at, you know, not just what people count as porn, but what are they perceiving and taking away from it? Totally. It, mm-hmm. Different answers from everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, lots of great kind of like um, bratty little girl play in this, you know, mm-hmm. like pulling of her hair, taking her clothes off, um, spanking her with a candy. This is Susie mm-hmm. Q as um, being kind of like a dominant little girl. And mm-hmm. I loved it. I, I mean, I, the thing about that, like, I forget sometimes about like child play is that it is is kind of like, like kids can be like, bratty (laughs) yeah well weirdly that's the part that like sounds the most appealing to me about like age playing as a little like as someone with without experience doing that I don't want to speak out of turn but I'm like yeah it sounds fun to get to just like role play being a little girl again or like being a brat and and again like shedding some of the like adult qualities that we we have to inhabit in our daily lives Mm -hmm. um also yeah just to sort of like run through the the whole video I think I imagine this was improvised. Like, it didn't feel scripted. It just felt like play. Totally. And I think Susie does some great stuff to lean into, again, that dynamic of being like, oh, I'm going to take your dress off. Like, a lot of things she does feel like they're inside of a game with a doll, and she finds creative ways to make them sexual or for the doll to engage sexually. Like, they have, like... um they talk about like sparkles and she yeah. refers to their, both their genitalia as like kookas, yes. which I was like, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a nickname for a cunt I've never heard before, but right. I really like it. But like <laughs> absolutely be, would be something that like, yes. you know what I mean? That like a little girl might be given as like a euphemism right. for her own vagina. Like, yeah. oh, like your kookas, not for other people. Or like, like that kind of don't stuff. Don't forget is... to wash your kuka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know. She said something about like, not getting sugar around, like sugar's bad, bad for, for kookas. kookas. Yeah. And I was like, that's true. And yes. not a lot of people know that. Yeah. Like leads to yeast infections. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Again, that's a different episode. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. Hey, more positive social messages from it, poor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for. <laughs> that's what we're always looking for. Yeah. 
Um, and then, I mean, I loved that they brought out so many other props and toys, too. There were clamps. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, yeah, like clothespins clothes and, like, pins. little clamps. And they all, uh-huh. they, all of those props felt like they were in the world of this little girl, which yes. I thought was a lovely touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a, a dildo and, of course... The, the queen, Hitachi Wand. Queen, Hitachi Wand. She well, showed up and I just was like, it's our old friend. Yeah, <laughs> there she is. Yeah. Um, and then she, what I loved was that it was like the doll didn't come to life until, or like, I guess like come to life um, until she came. Mm, like yeah. Susie Q like made her come and then it was like oh she was like now you're coming to life now I'm a real girl yeah, like, what, a, almost, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what an awesome take on Nutcracker slash yeah. <laughs> like, Pinocchio yeah 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 <laughs> like any doll narrative I, I was also thinking like it's like the porn age play version of Mannequin like where oh, <laughs> oh yeah, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. deep cut I love that <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's hot but actually. there was also so much more BDSM in this one compared to the other video where, you know, there was the candy ball gag. I was going to say, yes, by a lollipop. And there was some choking in the, you know, clothespins used as nipple clamps and Mm -hmm. clips on the labia. And so Mm -hmm. like there was so much more of that um, pleasure and pain, sadism, masochism and dominant submission in this. And, And then it was really fascinating when the doll comes to life and there's the role reversal and then yeah. the doll becomes like the dominant figure. Yeah. You know, it was just fascinating to watch like that shift in evolution and the switch that yes. happens. Yes. yes. Yeah. It, all, all both being little girls, you know, mm-hmm. both, you know, age playing. Yeah. I thought they both were fabulous performers in this too. Like mm-hmm. the doll role for Poppy could potentially be like an underused Thing. You know, she could have just kind of been like just sort of a stick figure throughout, but like weird little choices I was really into. Like when Susie like took off her top the first time and exposed her like real breasts as opposed to her like suited breasts. Yeah. She like had like a really big, like almost like clownish expression response to it. And I was like, this is correct. I yeah. love the like clown doll dynamic. Mm-hmm. And lots of like uh, a natural feeling of exploring, which is mm-hmm. again, like so childlike. Yeah, 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 yeah. Snaps. You know, (laughs) something I was thinking of is it it was almost sort of like how kids play doctor with each other Mm -hmm. a little bit. But Mm -hmm. also how a lot of kids, you know, have dolls or action figures and they undress them to see what's underneath. Totally. So it's like I'm I'm thinking about sort of like how they're taking those elements and incorporating them here. But also, you know, one other thing I noticed was – like the previous video, there was also a lot of warmth and nurturance yeah. where, you know, they're saying things like you're doing so well and uh-huh. you smell good and you taste good. And like, there's all of this validation and encouragement and, and, and so forth. So, you know, that was there alongside the, <laughs> you know, more intense BDSM elements, but, uh-huh. you know, accompanied by that very nurturesome component. Right. Yeah. Very warm. Yeah. Made me feel yeah. good. We don't always do this, but we purposefully went with like two videos that showed the spectrum of this this kink without going for the the problematic option. Like often we'll pick something to sort of poke fun at, but this one it felt right to just like right. look at different aspects of how this can be effective and how it can be safe and consensual and fun. Yeah. As opposed to deep <laughs> digging into yeah. the like seedy underbelly of porn and what we might find in the age play realm there because yeah. uh, it could have be gone real dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could have gotten gotten scary and, and yeah. uh, we don't want to pro- promote anything non-consenting. Like we poke a lot of fun, but uh, this because there's so many misconceptions about this particular arena, we really uh-huh. just wanted to illuminate the positive here so yeah both really like fascinating great videos i thought i same i also loved at the end of the crash pad one that she was like okay you can't tell anyone which is like absolutely like a kid thing to do you know yeah it's like like uh, or like you'll get sent back to the factory and then like poppy was like i want to stay with Susie." like it was yeah i loved it i thought it was great i mean normally we ask like which ones are going into our spank bank but you know, I think it's safe to say I liked both of them. <laughs> <laughs> she greedy. I liked them both. Yeah, so I'll both. take them both. <laughs> yeah. I think I do think these are both winners for me. Like both really totally. strong. Yeah. And like creative great, videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great examples of like communication and 
yeah, just that like uh, like age play can be something that you can watch and support without being like, am I normal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Justin. It has truly been our honor to have you on with us. Thank you for having me. And I've never been assigned like porn homework before, <laughs> before <laughs> coming on a podcast. So so thanks for that. And I just stay up last night and have a drink and watch some porn. Oh, I'm <laughs> yes. so glad. To get ready for today. What a thrill to give you a first. That's yeah. not something we expected to be able to do. I know. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's hard to surprise me or shock me or do anything at you know at this point in my career, but you know, I, I'm always down for new experiences. So. Yes. <laughs> and before we sign off, um, any, anything you want to plug handles, books, et cetera. For people who want to learn more about my work or follow me, I run the sex and psychology blog and podcast at sex and psychology.com. Uh, you can also follow me on the social medias. The, all the links are on my website, but I'm on Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller, L-E-H Miller. And you can find my book, Tell Me What You Want, anywhere books are sold. You can get the audiobook if you want me to read it to you personally. Um, or you can get it in paperback, hardcover, whatever format pleases you. Awesome. I think I just learned I've been saying your last name wrong. I know. I just it's Lay Miller, that. not Low Miller. Lay Miller. It's Lay Miller. I, I get Lay Miller a lot, but okay. hey, I, oh, I'm not God, super picky dick. about that. Well, now we know, and we'll say it correctly forever. <laughs> we just have to make up for at least a hundred episodes where, where we, we have said Lay Miller. <laughs> oh, again, always learning. learning, always learning. Oh, amazing! Um, thanks so much for listening to Girls on Porn. You can find us on Instagram at Girls on Pern. That's porn without the O. On Twitter at GOP the Podcast. On our website, GirlsOnPorn.com. And now on patreon.com slash girls on porn. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And hey, why not take a look at our Patreon? I bet you might find something you like. This has been Girls on Porn, the only GOP that's actually good. That was a HeadGum Podcast. 